We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 163 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, October 11th, 2021, Columbus Day, 2021. If I may quote my four-year-old son, he said the following this past weekend while I was watching him and his one-year-old sister with my wife away for the weekend, uh, I want my mama. When it comes to the Washington football team's defense, that's how we all feel right now. Where's mommy? I want my mommy. Because this is frightening. What we're all witnessing, another performance that shakes you at your core as a fan of this team. This was an infuriating performance in what ended up being a very disappointing loss. It was a winnable game but it ends up being a loss, a 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Washington now 2-3 and three on the season with a game against the fellow 2-3 and three operation that is the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. Yeah, raise your hand if you expected that. The Chiefs at 2-3 and three coming to FedEx Field for this week six matchup, uh, Chiefs got rocked 
on Sunday Night Football, late night on Sunday night, walloped at home by the Buffalo Bills 38-20 in a game that featured a delay due to severe weather. Now, look, both Washington and the Chiefs have very bad defenses, but there's a little bit of a difference between Washington's offense and the Chiefs' offense. But anyway, welcome to a special installment of the Al Galdi podcast, a Washington football team postgame show installment of the pod. Great to have you with us. This is the only Washington D.C. sports podcast that comes to you every weekday, out early each weekday morning. So the show is there for you, waiting for you when you wake up. We talk Washington football team like no other podcast or show. And boy, do we have a lot to get into. Next segment, the front five, my five biggest takeaways from Washington's loss to the Saints at FedEx Field. I have plenty for you on the game beyond the front five. I'm going to get into everything. The trash Washington defense, Taylor Heineke, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and so much more. Uh, you will hear the best of Rod Rivera's postgame press conference sprinkled in throughout the show. Oh, what a postgame press conference it was. And oh, what a situation we have with this Washington defense. Again, I want my mommy. Watching this defense is frightening right now. Uh, I will talk college football as well. Wild Saturday for Maryland, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Navy. And when I say wild, I mean wild in both good and uh, not so good ways. Now, three of the four games were very competitive. One, though, was not. Uh, the Terrapins blasted at Ohio State. Friendly reminder, when you have 30 seconds to kill, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write just like a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. Those things help out a lot. If you've already done those things, thank you very much. If you haven't yet done those things, uh, please consider doing those things. And I thank you for doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback, as you might expect, on the Washington football team's defense. Tweet from Washington Pride. I really don't feel like our defense sucks. It's just one to two guys in the secondary who cost us each game. Obviously, it's not top five like we all thought it'd be, but we're giving up so many points because of Collins and McCain. Uh, I don't think it's as simple as one or two guys in the secondary, but I do think you're onto something when you highlight the secondary. More on that as the show progresses. Tweet from Kevin, about to get destroyed by Chiefs and Packers, maybe even the Broncos, then finding a new defensive coordinator in the bye week. Yes, I will be addressing the job security of Jack Del Rio as the show progresses. Email from Rob. Damn, Al, maybe you should have played defense Sunday and gotten the defense to watch your kids while mama was gone. Probably all about the same. Uh, yes, Rob, I was about as effective parenting my kids on my own as Washington's defense was against the Saints. I was Landon Collins as a father over the weekend uh, trying to govern my four-year-old son and my one-year-old daughter. Uh, they listen to me about as much as Washington's defensive players listen to Jack Del Rio right now. Email from Jeffrey Southworth. I hope you survived a weekend with the kids. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, but define survive. Anyway, continues, Jeffrey. We are letting Don Ron, a defense-minded coach, lay the foundation 
around an antiquated formula, defense first. The league is trending offense by every standard. The days of truly being defense first are over. We've committed this rebuild to be led by a guy who has perceived defensive talent in which so much has been invested and the plan, well, it isn't working. I'm getting more nervous by the week that we are committed to a formula that isn't and won't work anymore. So many questions. Uh, Yeah, man, we do have questions about this Washington team. And I think you're right to raise the issue of has Washington gone about this all wrong in trying to beef up the defense? Like maybe the philosophy all along should have just been throw every resource possible at offense until you have that where you need it to be and then worry about the defense. I mean, you know, you want your defense to be good. But we're seeing this. You can have all of the first-round picks you want in your front seven. You can have all kinds of big-money defensive backs, and it can all add up to nothing defensively. And that's what we're largely seeing so far this season with Washington. It really is something else. I mean, even if you didn't think that Washington's defense was going to be elite this season or great this season, you didn't expect this. Nobody expected this. The defense is trash, and nobody, nobody, saw that coming. We have questions, many questions about this Washington team, especially with the defense. By the way, if you ever have questions about the health of your skin, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He's one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. And specific to skin cancer treatment, the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offers something very special and cutting-edge, superficial radiation radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401 or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All righty now, time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team falling to two and three with a 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one is actually a question. Can you recall a more disappointing unit on a Washington football team over the last 30 years than this 2021 Washington defense? 
You know, we as Washington football fans have seen so many overhyped players, overhyped units, overhyped teams over the last 30 years, i.e. since the end of the glory days, which ended at the end of the 1992 season. I ask you, can you think of anything more overhyped than this 2021 Washington defense. Now, maybe I'm falling prey to the error of recency, but I don't know, man. It's hard to come up with a Washington football unit from which so much was expected that ended up delivering so little. And yes, the narrative on this 2021 Washington defense still can change, but with each passing game and each passing trash performance, this more and more seems like a defense that just isn't good. Facing a Saints offense that was without receivers Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith, without starting left tackle Teron Armstead, without starting center Eric McCoy, and then lost all-purpose weapon Taysom Hill and receiver Deontay Harris to injury during the game, Washington still allowed the Saints to score 33 points. Washington still allowed Saints quarterback Jameis Winston to average 9.3 yards per pass attempt and to average a jaw-dropping 18.6 yards per completion. Jameis Winston only went 15-30 on Sunday afternoon, but he threw for 279 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. Jameis Winston put up spectacular numbers despite completing precisely 50% of his pass attempts. You know how rare that is? And yet that is exactly what happened on Sunday afternoon. And of course, it wasn't just the what, it was the how. Winston's first two touchdown passes were total amateur hour from Washington's secondary. And by the way, this now is as clear as can be. The secondary is the thing, okay? Don't get me wrong. No position group on Washington's defense is blameless for uh, the ineptitude that we've seen so far this season from Washington's defense. But if we're ranking those most deserving of the blame, the secondary is at the top of the list when it comes to the position groups. You know, somebody go tell that to Bobby McCain, okay, of his lecturing of us after the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. But yeah, Jameis Winston's first two touchdown passes. Saints' second offensive drive, the third snap of the drive, receiver Deontay Harris inexplicably gets wide open behind Washington secondary on a Jameis Winston first quarter, third and seven, 72-yard shotgun touchdown bomb. So A, another third down conversion for an opponent for Washington, but B, another play on which an opposing player is inexplicably wide open. It sure looked like on this play, Landon Collins did not get deep quickly enough. The ensuing extra point gave the Saints a 7-3 lead. The Saints' seventh offensive drive, the lone snap of this drive, and the final offensive play of the first half, Washington giving up a Jameis Winston first and 10, 49-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to receiver Marquez Calloway on a Hail Mary heave into a horde of bodies in the end zone. Neither Kendall Fuller nor William Jackson III your top two corners, your two biggest money corners, even jumped on that jump ball. Why? I don't know. They just didn't. And Callaway ended up making a rather easy grab 
of what should have been an incredibly difficult catch. I mean, as jump ball, touchdown receptions, and end zones go, that actually wasn't that hard for Callaway because Washington's defensive backs didn't make things that hard for Callaway. Ensuing extra point gave the Saints a 2013 halftime lead. What was a gut punch for Washington going into the locker room? Just pathetic. I mean, just awful. And take a listen to this. Ron Rivera, during his postgame press conference, furious with his defense. What I'm going to do here for you is give you the first few questions and answers from the presser, and you'll get the idea. Um, this stuff, the Hail Mary, what happened on that Hail Mary? They caught it. That's the truth of the matter. We had enough guys around them. One of their guys got it and caught it. Well, it didn't seem like anyone jumped on that play. Is that like... I thought we jumped. I thought we tried to get in and make the play. Um, what's, your, what's your overall feeling where this team is at now? You just see some of the persistent mistakes. How do, yep. how do you feel about I think we lack a little bit of confidence right now. You know, we had a little bit of confidence. We made some things happen, and then we made a couple of mistakes, and we lost a little bit of confidence. We've got to keep our confidence level up if we expect to give ourselves a chance to win football games. Are you frustrated? Yep, I'm very frustrated because we got too many good football players to not be better than what we are right now. But your record tells everybody what you are. That's what we are. We're a two-and-three football team right now. How do you see the lack of confidence? Well, just sometimes not making the plays when we need to. That's how I see it. Because when we made plays, we had things rolling, and then something bad happened, and we just got to handle that and deal with that a little bit better. Yeah, old Don Ron, not happy after the game. He should not have been happy, but let's be honest. This trash defense is on him and his defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, too. This is on everyone, the players and the coaches. This debate about who's more responsible for the defensive struggles, the players or the coaches, that's all fine and dandy. But the truth of the matter is, they're all responsible. Maybe not equally, but they're all responsible. Nobody is absolved of the blame for the debacle that has been this Washington football team defense. And you know what's unfortunate? The defense actually did do some good things in this game. Washington generated two first quarter takeaways. Now, these were just Washington's third and fourth takeaways of the season, but you still got two first quarter takeaways. You got that Cole Holcomb. Second and 10 interception of a Jameis Winston shotgun pass on the first offensive drive of the game. And you got a sack strip from, yes, Chase Young on the third snap of the Saints' third offensive drive. Second and five for the Saints at the 50. Chase Young gets major push on Saints' right tackle Ryan Ramchek. Chase gets his right arm onto Jameis Winston to force a fumble for what goes down as a sack strip that's recovered by Deron Payne at midfield and returns six yards. To the Saints 44, ensuing Washington offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's early second quarter, first and goal, five-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run, and the ensuing extra point gave Washington a 13-7 lead. So, like, at least initially in the game, you felt like maybe just maybe this was finally going to be a good performance by this Washington defense this season. Washington finished with two sacks and nine quarterback hits. The pass rush was actually pretty good in this game. The defensive line was actually pretty good in this game. I'm going to talk about that next segment. So we actually had some good stuff from Washington's defense in this game, but the bad was so bad that you almost feel silly for discussing the good things from Washington's defense in this game. Well, don't ever feel silly if you believe that you may have been wronged. Uh, I want to tell you about a law firm that's ready to represent you if you have been wronged. Paulson 
and NACE. Call Paulson and NACE and schedule a no-obligation appointment. You're obligated to nothing. 202-902-7611. Paulson and NACE handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and NACE are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans, probably not very happy on this Monday. Uh, but Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C., I've known the Naces for 25-plus years. These are good people, smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, contact Paulson and Nace. Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Make sure that you say, hey, heard about you guys on the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what I got going on. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family Take care of yours. It's the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team falling to two and three with a 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number two, Taylor Heineke had his worst game as a Washington quarterback. Uh, Heineke played the worst of his seven games, regular season and postseason, as a Washington quarterback. I don't even think there's much debating that. Uh, I thought he was much worse in this game than he was in, say, the week three loss at the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Heineke in this loss to the Saints, just 20 of 41. Yeah, a completion percentage of just 48.78. Threw for just 248 yards. So just 248 yards on 41 pass attempts. That is a microscopic yards per pass attempt of 6.05. He had no touchdown passes. He had two bad interceptions. He took two sacks. He did make plays with his legs, five carries for 40 yards, but he quarterbacked a Washington offense that went just 5 of 16 on third downs. Now, there are some mitigating factors when it comes to just bashing Taylor Heineke. So if you are a Taylor Heineke denier, if you are a Taylor Heineke hater, if you are a Tay-Tay hater, if you are a Tater and you're ready to tee off on Taylor Heineke, hold your horses for just a few more seconds, okay? Uh, first of all, Heineke was facing a Saints defense. Uh, that's really good. Uh, Saints through week four of the season at number two in the NFL in total defense per football outsiders DVOA metric. So it's worth pointing that out. The Saints, statistically speaking, entered week five as one of the best defenses in the NFL this season. I know that the Saints defense was not great in week four and that home overtime loss to the New York Giants. But yeah, I mean, I think we should note this. You weren't facing some cupcake defense on Sunday in that of the Saints. Also, Washington's offense was without a number of key guys. No Logan Thomas, no Brandon Sheriff, no Deami Brown, no Cam Sims. Uh, you, during the game, lost Curtis Samuel and Samuel Cosme. Uh, Washington's offensive line was guilty of four bad penalties. I'm going to talk about that in just a bit. And Washington had atrocious field position on three different occasions. Washington started three different offensive drives 
at the team's three or worse, thanks to great punts by Saints punter Blake Gilligan. So I think we have to mention all of those things, but even with all of that established, Heineke was not good, okay? And you know me, I am a, a fan of Taylor Heineke. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm realistic on Taylor Heineke. I'm not certain of anything. I've just been open to things that I think a lot of people haven't been open to, especially more than a few in the media. But Taylor Heineke in this game too often made poor decisions and or was inaccurate, okay? Point blank period. Uh, his first interception, Washington's fourth offensive drive on a second quarter, second and seven at the Saints 16 with the game tied at 13. Taylor Heineke threw a bad shotgun interception to corner Paulson Adebo on a pass intended for Curtis Samuel near the front right pylon. So that's a red zone interception by Taylor Heineke with the game tied at 13. His second interception was worse. Washington's 10th offensive drive started at the Washington 2 thanks to one of those great punts by Blake Gillikin, a 53-yarder. Uh, third snap of the drive on a third and 10 for Washington at its two while trailing by just four at 2016 early in the fourth quarter. Taylor Heineke, a shotgun interception to corner P.J. Williams at the Washington 26. Ensuing Saints offensive drive resulted in Jameis Winston's fourth quarter, third and seven, 12-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Marquez Callaway, who was wide open. Ensuing extra point gave the Saints a 27-16 lead, and that pick sure felt like that was it for the game, didn't it? I mean, the game just spun out of control from that point forward. That was a true dooming interception that was thrown there by Taylor Heineke. Not good. Uh, the, you know, so, some picks are like, well, you know, he's trying to do this and the throw wasn't that bad and maybe the ball got tipped. No, these were bad interceptions by Taylor Heineke. Uh, he was inaccurate early in the game for a second consecutive game. Uh, maybe this is a thing with Heineke, but he does not get off to a uh, Lightning fast starts, shall we say. Washington's first offensive drive started at the Saints 31, thanks to the Cole Holcomb first quarter interception of Jameis Winston. But the drive resulted in three as opposed to seven, resulted in Dustin Hopkins' first quarter 45-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead. Third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke terribly inaccurate on a third and five shotgun overthrow intended for DeAndre Carter, who was wide open. Uh, the pass could have been intercepted, should have been a completion, uh, but instead, you end up having to kick the field goal as opposed to continuing the drive. Uh, Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter turnover on downs, the fifth snap of that drive. Taylor Heineke missed an open Adam Humphreys on a second and 10 shotgun play action incompletion intended for Humphreys. So I was not in love at all with Taylor Heineke's performance in this game. All of that said, Heineke did have plenty of good moments. I mean, it's not like this was some trash heap performance by Heineke, but it wasn't good. But I do want to note some of the good that Heineke put forth. Uh, Washington's 11th offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth quarter first and goal one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run that cut Washington's deficit to 27 at 22. Washington failed in its attempt at a two-point conversion as a Taylor Heineke shotgun pass got deflected. But the second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 26-yard under center play action completion to Adam Humphreys. A fourth snap of the drive, J.D. McKissick had a drop on a Taylor Heineke second and 12 shotgun incompletion. Sixth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, fourth and 14, 26-yard shotgun completion to a wide open DeAndre Carter. Yeah, Washington converted on a fourth and 14 on this drive. And then on the seventh snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, 16-yard shotgun scramble 
Uh, Washington's third offensive drive started at the Saints 44 of Chase Young's first quarter sack strip that Deron Payne recovered, resulted in Antonio Gibson's early second quarter first and goal five-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run, ensuing extra point gave Washington a 13-7 lead. Eight snap of the drive, final snap of the first quarter, Taylor Heineke a second and 17, 13-yard shotgun scramble. Ninth snap of the drive, first snap of the second quarter, Taylor Heineke a third and four, seven-yard shotgun completion to Ricky Seals-Jones. You had Washington's second offensive drive resulted in the Dustin Hopkins first quarter 23-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 7-6. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a first and 10, 20-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys on a nice catch and run. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke first and 10, 9-yard shotgun play action completion to Antonio Gibson. Eighth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a second and two, 18-yard under center play action completion to Terry McLaurin, ninth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, five-yard shotgun play action scramble. Uh, Washington's fourth offensive drive, the one that resulted in Taylor Heineke's first interception. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 17-yard under center play action completion to DeAndre Carter. Second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 13-yard under center play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Seventh snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 10-yard shotgun play action completion to DeAndre Carter. That was one of the more unfortunate things about that drive. Again, this was the one that resulted in Heineke's first interception, the one to corner Paulson Adebo in the second quarter. Heineke was rolling on this drive. He was doing some nice things on this drive. And then he had that interception. Uh, Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in the second quarter turnover on downs. The third snap of that drive. Taylor Heineke, a third and two, four-yard Shotgun scramble. So there was some good stuff from Taylor Heineke in this game, but not nearly enough good stuff. He was not good in this game. I want to make that crystal clear. Uh, Taylor Heineke was not good enough in this game to win it. Rod Rivera during his postgame press conference on Heineke's performance. I thought Taylor had his moments. I thought he did. I, he made some plays. He gave us some opportunities. And a couple times, I think he, just, he tried to force it, you know, and, and, and that's hard because he's trying to make plays. Yes, he is. Uh, Ron later in his postgame press conference got asked about Heineke's confidence of Ron having said that the defense right now is playing with a lack of confidence. Oh, his confidence is sky high. Okay, he's trying to make plays out there. He thinks he can do a lot and he tries to do a lot. And, you know, I take my hat off to to, to him because this is a guy that fights and does everything he needs to do to give, give us a chance. Yeah, Heineke was bad in this loss to the Saints, but he was not Washington's biggest problem. And here's the thing. Washington's trash defense makes it so that Heineke must be great every game. And he's not going to be great every game. That's not who he is. He is not an elite quarterback. But with this defense, I feel like he has to be an elite quarterback in order for this team to consistently win right now. Takeaway number three, Washington's banged up offensive line got even more banged up and was guilty of four killer penalties. So you start with no Brandon Sheriff. He was inactive for this game due to a knee injury, what was a reported sprained MCL that was suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. You know, not to turn this into a referendum on Brandon Sheriff. I've made my position clear. He's a very good player. He's a very likable player, but he misses way too much time, and he plays a position that to me is not a position you should be putting big money into. He's not worth the money he's being paid under the terms of this second consecutive non-exclusive franchise tag tender. But understand now, uh, Brandon Sheriff has missed 17 games since the start of the 2018 season. 
So Brandon Sheriff, since the start of the 2018 season, has played in just 36 of a possible 53 regular season games, okay? That works out to 67.92% of possible regular season games. He basically has missed a third of Washington's regular season games since the start of the 2018 season. You tell me, is that worth $18 plus million, which is what Sheriff is making this season under the terms of a second consecutive non-exclusive franchise tag tender? Is that worth paying a guy the top of the market money he is seeking when he misses, again, about a third of your games over what is now a four-season stretch, okay? Again, he's played in just 36 of a possible 53 regular season games since the start of the 2018 season. Anyway, uh, so you had Wes Schweitzer as Washington starting right guard for this game. Then you had Samuel Cosme suffering an ankle injury in this game. And he did come back into the game, but he ultimately exited the game for good. So you had no sheriff. You played a good chunk of the game without Cosme. And perhaps not coincidentally, Washington offensive linemen ended up being guilty of four of Washington's five accepted penalties. And some of these penalties were brutal. Uh, Washington's third offensive drive started at the Saints 44 off the Chase Young first quarter sack strip that Deron Payne recovered. Now, this drive did result in a touchdown. Antonio Gibson's early second quarter first and goal five-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. But the first snap of the drive, Charles Leno Jr. committed a first and 10 10-yard holding penalty. Uh, Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's first interception. The second quarter, second and seven shotgun interception to corner Paulson Adebo. Third snap of the drive, Chase Roulier committed a first and 10, 10-yard holding penalty. Washington's sixth offensive drive started at the Washington one, thanks to a spectacular 60-yard punt by Saints punter Blake Gilligan, uh, resulted in a late second quarter three and out. Second snap of the drive on a second and nine for Washington at its two. Sadiq Charles, who had just reported as eligible and who was active for the first time this season, committed a one-yard full start penalty. And then came the worst of all four of Washington's offensive line penalties. Washington's eighth offensive drive started at the Washington three thanks to a 57-yard punt by Blake Gilligan. The drive resulted in a third-quarter punt. The first snap of the drive, a Wes Schweitzer first and 10, one-yard ineligible man downfield penalty negated a Taylor Heineke borderline miracle 44-yard shotgun completion to Ricky Seals-Jones off the shotgun snap from Chase Roulier having gotten by Heineke, and the football having rolled around in the end zone. Now, did the snap get by Heineke because the snap was poor or because Heineke just whiffed on catching the football? Not sure, but that play had safety written all over it. At the very least, that play had incompletion written all over it. And instead, the play became a 44-yard completion to Ricky Sills-Jones. And then, oh, no, sorry, West Schweitzer, one yard, ineligible man, downfield penalty, put in the line of scrimmage at the Washington two. Uh, also on this drive, by the way, third snap, Taylor Heineke had a second and two, three yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson off a high snap by Chase Roulier. Uh, Washington's offensive line overall this season has been pretty good, but there were too many bad moments from the offensive line on Sunday. Well, it should never be a bad moment when you look at your lawn. Uh, You should love what your lawn looks like. You should feel warm and fuzzy when you look at your lawn. If you don't, uh, if your lawn isn't looking as you want it to look, 
Cole Weedman, which is offering a great deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman cares for your lawn, so you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. If you're not satisfied with who's caring for your lawn, make the switch to Weedman. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. When you call Weedman, you're not speaking to someone uh, somewhere in, say, the Midwest. You're speaking to someone in an office in your area. You're not waiting for 30 minutes to speak to that someone. Weedman actually has real answers that have meaning in your area. And if you have, say, a specific area on your lawn that needs attention, Weedman will take care of that area. You're not dealing with a huge faceless corporation that treats you like a number. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners. And Weedman wants you to know that a beautiful spring lawn starts now in the fall. And so Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price in aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. The price is a steal. The price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get that special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. Again, about $100 off the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get that special deal. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. It's the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team falling to two and three with a 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number four, Washington's top two receivers were not nearly the factors that you wanted them to be. Talking about Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. And not that it's necessarily other guy's fault that this was the case, but this was the case. Your top two WRs uh, did not end up being the factors that you wanted them to be. So Terry McLaurin finished with just four receptions for 46 yards on 11 targets. This was another matchup with a high-profile corner, this time the Saints' Marshawn Lattimore. And while Terry got his to some extent... You have to say, I mean, if you're Lattimore, if you're the Saints, you sign up in a heartbeat for Terry McLaurin finishing with just four receptions for 46 yards on 11 targets. Now, McLaurin did draw a big penalty on Lattimore. That 11th Washington offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Antonio Gibson fourth quarter, first and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run, uh, a key moment on that drive. In fact, the snap right before the touchdown, the ninth snap of the drive was this, second and goal at the five. Terry McLaurin drew a four-yard pass interference penalty on corner Marshawn Lattimore for a first and goal at the one. Now, if you're being objective about things, Washington got very lucky on this call. Taylor Heineke's pass sure did not seem to have been catchable, and yet somehow this ended up being ruled a pass interference penalty. So we'll take it, but man, I was stunned uh, when that flag 
uh, held as it ended up holding. But McLaurin did draw that penalty on Lattimore. And McLaurin did have some good moments in this game. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' first quarter 23-yard field goal. A snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke is second and two, 18-yard under center play action completion to Terry McLaurin, who beat Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, Washington's fourth offensive drive, the one that resulted in Taylor Heineke's second quarter, second and seven shotgun interception to corner Paulson Adebo, the second snap of that drive. Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 13-yard under center play action completion to Terry McLaurin. But again, you'll sign up if you're the Saints for McLaurin finishing with just four receptions for 46 yards on 11 targets. Four catches on 11 targets is not a good hit rate, but that was the hit rate that the Saints were able to hold McLaurin to on Sunday. And then there's Curtis Samuel. And man, the Curtis Samuel situation is just feeling so hopeless right now. Curtis Samuel in this game, no receptions in being targeted just once. The one time that he was targeted resulted in that first Taylor Heineke interception. That second quarter, second and seven shotgun interception to corner Paulson Adebo happened on a pass intended for Curtis Samuel near the front right pylon. Uh, He did have a rush attempt for eight yards. That was nice to see. But the groin acted up again. Curtis Samuel ended up not playing in this game all that much. He was listed as questionable for the game to begin with due to the groin. He, of course, had just made his Washington debut in the previous game. Like, it's not like he came back, you know, a month and a half ago. It's that he made his Washington debut in that win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four, and then he's questionable for the game in week five, and then he ends up barely playing in that game in week five. He was on the reserve injured list from September 10th to October 1st, and now you have to wonder if he may be going back on it. I mean, I don't know what you do right now with this Curtis Samuel groin situation. What happened to his groin, by the way? We still don't know, but like, did someone take an axe to Curtis Samuel's groin? Like, what the heck happened to this thing to where this is still a problem months after the problem first popped up? I mean, I'm serious about this. Did someone come out from behind the bushes? Did some creepo come out from behind the bushes and just start whacking, just start chopping at Curtis Samuel's groin with some kind of an axe? I mean, this is ridiculous to me. John Wayne Bobbitt didn't have as much trouble with his groin as Curtis Samuel is having with his groin this year. This is unbelievable to me. And it's so frustrating, right? Because Curtis Samuel is a weapon. And we saw that, you know, however briefly in this game on Sunday. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' first quarter 23-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 7-6. The second snap of that drive, Curtis Samuel, a first and 10, eight-yard shotgun handoff run on an end around. Beautiful play. But that's basically it. That's all you got from Curtis Samuel in this game. You know, it's interesting. Samuel in the win at the Falcons in week four, four receptions for 19 yards on four targets, played on 37% of Washington's offensive snaps. Scott Turner on Thursday at his post-practice press conference admitted that Samuel had been on a pitch count for that game at the Falcons, but also that Washington significantly exceeded that pitch count. And you wonder if some real damage may have been done to Samuel's groin in that game because he barely practiced in the week leading up to this game against the Saints. And then he ends up barely playing in this game against the Saints because of the groin. So I don't know what you do. I don't know if you shut him down for another week or two. I don't know if you got to put him back on the reserve injured list. I tell you what, though, it's become impossible at this point to count on Curtis Samuel this season. And it's not necessarily his fault 
But geez, this groin injury, this is something else. This is an all-timer. I've never seen something like this. And it ends up severely handcuffing Curtis Samuel in this game against the Saints. So in a game in which you already were without Logan Thomas and Deami Brown and Cam Sims, you end up being without Curtis Samuel for a good chunk of the game. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on whether he's considering shutting down Curtis Samuel for a few weeks again. No, he felt pretty good. He had, he had, a, he had a couple of good days uh, this past week, and we thought we could get, you know, get by. We were trying to manage his reps this time. You know, we activated uh, AGG to, 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 to help just in case something else happened. And, you know, just it never really got as loose as he would have liked it. And then takeaway number five, Antonio Gibson. Uh, he, to me, had an impressive game. So Antonio Gibson was listed as questionable for this game due to a shin ailment. A shin ailment, by the way, that he on Friday in a post-practice press conference revealed is a stress fracture. So now you have that to add to the list of all the injuries that Washington is dealing with. Oh, by the way, your RB1 has a stress fracture in his shin. Now, this appears to be something that sounds worse than it actually is. Although, I don't know, man, stress fracture is a stress fracture. You can dress it up however you want. But Gibson played on Sunday, and Gibson, I thought, was good. 20 carries for 60 yards and two touchdowns, two receptions for 12 yards on two targets. Those numbers, though, don't do the performance justice. The yards per carry, yeah, only 3.0, but that stat to me is misleading because Gibson had one run from minus seven yards. So you take that out of the equation, you're looking at 19 carries for 67 yards, uh, and he had a one-yard touchdown run. So the one-yard touchdown run lessens the yards per carry, even though that is a successful play, right? That is a touchdown run. Uh, Antonio Gibson's first touchdown run Washington's third offensive drive started at the Saints 44 off the Chase Young first quarter sack strip that Deron Payne recovered, resulted in Antonio Gibson's early second quarter first and goal five-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Now, this drive did include that run for minus seven yards, seven snap of the drive, penultimate snap of the first quarter. Antonio Gibson, a first and 10 under center handoff run for a seven-yard loss. Uh, The uh, Saints edge rusher Cameron Jordan came in unblocked on that play. But you also had the other touchdown run for Antonio Gibson, Washington's 11th offensive drive. Uh, Antonio Gibson, fourth quarter, first and goal, one yard, shotgun handoff, touchdown run. Uh, Antonio Gibson was very productive on Washington's ninth offensive drive. It was a 14-play, 69-yard drive that consumed seven minutes, 20 seconds off the clock, resulted in Dustin Hopkins' late third quarter 24-yard field goal, second snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and six, five-yard shotgun handoff run. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, third and one, six-yard shotgun handoff run. Fifth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and four, 16-yard under center handoff run. Seventh snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and one, one-yard shotgun handoff run. And Antonio Gibson also was productive on Washington's second offensive drive, resulted in Dustin Hopkins' first quarter 23-yard field goal. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and two, three-yard Shotgun handoff run, fourth snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, nine-yard shotgun play action completion to Antonio Gibson. And Gibson's other reception in this game was for a first down. Uh, Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in a third quarter punt, third snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a second and two, three-yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson off the high snap by Chase Roulier. So I liked a lot of what we saw from Antonio Gibson in this game. Unfortunately, not enough to like from Washington 
in this game. So there you go, the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team falling to two and three with this 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, a question. Can you recall a more disappointing unit on a Washington team over the last 30 years than this 2021 Washington defense? And that's not just a rhetorical question. If you have a unit that you can come up with more disappointing than this 2021 Washington defense, let me know. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Takeaway number two, Taylor Heineke had his worst game as a Washington quarterback. Takeaway number three, Washington's banged up offensive line got even more banged up and was guilty of four killer penalties. Takeaway number four, Washington's top two receivers were not nearly the factors that you wanted them to be, talking about Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. And takeaway number five, Antonio Gibson, to me, did have an impressive game. Why is Washington's secondary so bad? Why didn't Ron Rivera have Dustin Hopkins attempt a 53-yard field goal in the second quarter? I'll get to those items and more from this loss to the Saints after this. Washington football team season is in full swing, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, take on, say, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs at FedEx Field this Sunday, or Tom Brady and the Bucks at FedEx on November 14th, or are wanting to travel to watch Washington play at Aaron Rodgers and the Packers on October 24th, or at Derek Carr and the Raiders on December 5th and a trip to Vegas, or you want to hit up the late season division games, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. So here's what you do. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now and use the promo code Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi and use the promo code Galdi. TickPick.com slash Galdi and make sure that you use the promo code Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We continue with the Washington football team conversation off the W to the F to the T Falling to 2-3, loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. There is so much going on with the Washington football team right now. I mean, you put aside, you know, the fact that there's no name for the team, okay? Like, that's still going on. You, of course, have this Ryan Vermillion situation going on. We had an update with that situation over the weekend. Now a second member of Washington's training staff has been placed on administrative leave. Per multiple reports, Washington has placed assistant athletic trainer Doug Kwan on administrative leave. To what extent, if at all, I guess technically you have to say this is related to the Ryan Vermillion situation, we don't know for sure. But geez, I mean, this is an awfully big coincidence if Doug Kwan is on administrative leave, just as Ryan Vermillion is on administrative leave and one has nothing to do with the other. But yeah, from a football standpoint, and this Vermillion thing does impact football, but from purely a football, you know, on the field standpoint, it really is all about the Washington football team defense right now. This defense is something else. And like I said last segment, I know for me now, it really has become crystal clear. The secondary is the thing, not the only thing, but the thing, the number one thing. The secondary is the trashiest of the trash that is this Washington football team defense so far this season. And this was captured so perfectly by Jameis Winston's first two touchdown passes on Sunday afternoon. First, the Jameis Winston first quarter, third and seven, 72-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to receiver Deontay Harris, who inexplicably got wide open behind Washington's secondary. Landon Collins seemingly not getting deep quickly enough. And then the Jameis Winston first and 10, 49-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to receiver Marquez Callaway on a Hail Mary heave into the end zone on the final offensive play of the first half. Neither Kendall Fuller nor William Jackson III even jumps on that jump ball, and the Saints go into the half with a 2013 lead. This secondary has significant money tied up into Jackson and Fuller. This secondary has major money tied into Landon Collins, although Washington realistically can get out of the Collins deal this coming offseason. I think that is as much of a certainty as anything can be in October for something that could happen come the offseason. I mean, you tell me, what are the odds that Landon Collins is back with Washington for the 2022 season at this point? But when it comes to why the secondary is so bad, you know, I still come back to this thing of, I don't think all of these guys are this bad. It may be that Landon Collins at this point is this bad. It's hard for me to believe that William Jackson III and Kendall Fuller are as bad as they've looked so far this season. There remains to me more to what's going on with this Washington defense than we're being told. I'm sorry, okay? You cannot buy into all of the talent, but you're not being objective and you're probably being revisionist if you say, well, this defense isn't talented at all. Like, maybe the talent isn't at the level that many of us thought, but to sit here and say 
the talent on the defense is such that the defensive performance makes sense. No, it doesn't, okay? There's something off here. There's something going on here. And maybe it's these players not getting along with Jack Del Rio. Maybe it's these players not getting along with defensive backs coach Chris Harris. He is well-regarded, but maybe there are problems between some of the Washington defensive backs and Chris Harris. Maybe there are problems amongst the defensive backs. Maybe some of these guys are not getting along. I mean, you do have multiple big money players. You do have multiple experienced players, guys who have presumably their beliefs on how things should be done, guys who presumably have egos. But something is off here, okay? The communication in the secondary sucks in addition to the execution. This really is starting to feel like a dysfunctional group. And we know in the middle of a season, you're not just going to get rid of all of these players. But you can start to make some changes on the coaching staff. And while I would not advocate for this, you do have to start to wonder, could it be that we see an in-season change at maybe defensive coordinator? Could it be that Jack Del Rio's job is in jeopardy as Washington defensive coordinator? Again, I'm not advocating for this. But at this point, with how bad this Washington defense is, at this point, with the same problems rearing their ugly heads, game in, game out, at this point, with these glaring mistakes happening, guys running screaming wide open, you know, Deontay Harris inexplicably getting behind Washington's secondary on a first quarter, third and seven, 72-yard touchdown reception. You tell me, do you think Jack Del Rio should feel supremely safe right now? as Washington's defensive coordinator. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on whether he is still standing by his previous support of Jack Del Rio. Well, when you watch the tape, you just got to see if we're where we're supposed to be. You know, I mean, what I'm going to do and what I decide, guys, that, that's, that, that's stuff I have to work out. But right now, we're doing what we, we can do best, and that's we're coaching as best as we can. We're practicing as best as we can. Yeah, well, it's clearly not good enough. The other thing you have to really wonder about is, okay, what about some lineup changes here, all right? We've barely seen DeShazer Everett this season, okay? I mean, we'll see what the snap counts end up being for Sunday's game against the Saints, but DeShazer Everett had not played on any of Washington's defensive snaps over the first four games of this season. We, of course, have not seen any of Jeremy Reeves so far this year. He's on Washington's practice squad. He did a nice job as a starting safety for Washington very late last season. I mean, at some point, you got to change something here, okay? And I don't know why, if you're Jack Del Rio or Ron Rivera, you would feel anything in the way of extreme loyalty to, say, Landon Collins or Bobby McCain. Like, these guys both may be gone, come next season. So if they're not getting the job done right now, change things up. Now, if you really truly believe in those guys, then keep them out there. But here's the deal. The results so far are trash. This defense so far is trash. And to keep putting out the same people with the same scheme and not changing anything, I don't know, man. We're five games into the season at this point. It's getting harder and harder to mount the horse of, well, things will change and, well, things will click. It's not only that things have yet to go well and click. It's that things aren't getting any better at all. Like, we're not even seeing, like, baby steps improvement. Um, I mean, yeah, you got the two first quarter takeaways 
on Sunday. But takeaways are kind of flukish. Like, you can't just count on takeaways game in, game out. You can't just say, like, okay, now we're going to start seeing takeaways game in, game out. Takeaways come and go. Kind of like sacks come and go. But at least we did get two sacks for Washington on Sunday. And I actually thought the defensive line had one of its better games so far this season. Now, I know that's not saying much. Trust me on that. But I actually thought the defensive line did some good things in this loss to the Saints at FedEx Field. So you had those two first quarter takeaways, as we've discussed, and those takeaways were in no small part due to the defensive line. The Cole Holcomb first quarter, second and 10 interception of the Jameis Winston shotgun pass, and then the 23-yard return to the Saints 31 great play, and a play made possible in part by Jonathan Allen pressure from him. Uh, He had a quarterback hit on the play. Got great push on Saints left guard Andrus Pete. Uh, Washington's second takeaway of the first quarter was a direct result of the defensive line. Chase Young, the sack strip, major push on Saints right tackle Ryan Ramchek. Chase got his right arm onto Jameis Winston to force a fumble for what went down as a sack strip that was recovered by Deron Payne in midfield. Returned six yards to the Saints 44. Washington finished the game with two sacks and nine quarterback hits. Chase Young had his sack strip for, yes, his first sack of the season. Uh, Deron Payne had a sack and a fumble recovery. Payne's sack coming on the Saints' six offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, third snap of the drive. Deron Payne, a first and 10 sack of Jameis Winston for an eight-yard loss. Jonathan Allen finished with three quarterback hits in this game. Not just the quarterback hit on the play that resulted in the Cole Holcomb interception, but on the Saints' ninth offensive drive resulted in a third quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen, a quarterback hit on a Jameis Winston third and 10 shotgun incompletion. Matt Ioannidis had three quarterback hits on Sunday. Saints' fifth offensive drive started at the Saints' two off the Taylor Heineke second quarter, second and seven shotgun interception to corner Paulson Adebo. Uh, the drive resulted in a second quarter punt, first snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Saints at their two. Matt Ioannidis abused the Saints' right guard, Calvin Throckmorton. Love that last name, Throckmorton for a quarterback hit on a Jameis Winston under center play action and completion. That was a throwaway. Also, special teams. So Dustin Hopkins went three for three on field goals on Sunday, connected on a first quarter 45-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead, connected on a first quarter 23-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 7-6, and connected on a late third quarter 24-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 2016. It certainly doesn't feel like this is the case, but this is the case. Dustin Hopkins is 10 of 11 on field goals this season. His only official miss was that early fourth quarter miss 51-yard field goal attempt in the 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. Now, there's a lot more nuance to Dustin Hopkins' season than just going to profootballreference.com and seeing that he's 10 of 11 officially on field goals this year. We know what happened at the end of the win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in Week 2. We know that he missed two extra point attempts in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in Week 4, but I do get a kick out of that. He is officially 10 of 11 on field goals this year. The only miss was on a 51-yarder, which in theory, right, is a forgivable miss. But speaking of of 50-plus-yard field goal attempts. Very interesting that on Sunday, Ron Rivera did not have the strong-legged 
Dustin Hopkins, right? We always hear about how strong his leg is. Ron Rivera did not have the strong-legged Dustin Hopkins, the bionic-legged Dustin Hopkins attempt a 53-yard field goal on Washington's fifth offensive drive, the drive that resulted in a second-quarter turnover on downs. Instead of attempting a 53-yard field goal for a 16-13 lead, Ron Rivera on a 4th and 10 at the Saints 35 went for it, and the result was a Taylor Heineke shotgun incompletion on a pass that Terry McLaurin actually caught but caught out of bounds. Uh, here was Ron during his postgame press conference on why he went for it on that fourth and 10, as opposed to having robo-leg Dustin Hopkins attempt a 53-yard field goal. Crosswind, okay, across his face, back into it. Thought we had just as good a chance to go for it. We went for a fourth and 18 and completed it, so why not? Yeah, Don Ron was in rare form in his postgame press conference on Sunday. Uh, while we're talking Washington special teams, few other things. So how about the roughing the kicker penalty that Washington benefited from? Washington's third offensive drive started at the Saints 44 off the Chase Young first quarter sack strip that Deron Payne recovered. The drive ultimately resulted in a touchdown. Uh, the Antonio Gibson early second quarter first and goal five-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run but the drive was on a one-way street, or so it seemed, to being a three and out. And then came the fifth snap of the drive. Tressway drawing a 15-yard roughing the kicker penalty by Saints edge rusher Carl Granderson to extend the drive. I mean, boy, was that a gift from the football gods. I always love it the way punters sell that roughing the kicker penalty. Now, we've seen this in the NFL for years, but man, Punters sell the roughing the kicker penalties like these punters have been shot, okay? Like, the, 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 the Tressway acted like he had just taken a bullet to the skull and was lying face first on the turf. I mean, geez, Tress, you know, it's just, it's hysterical to me the way these punters sell these roughing the kicker penalties. But look, you do what you got to do, but it just is something else how these punters sell these penalties. Anyway, Washington benefited uh, from that there. That's the thing about this game. Washington got some gifts in this game. Washington benefited from some calls in this game. Uh, also, with Washington special teams, DeAndre Carter, third quarter, 10-yard punt return. Love seeing that. Uh, he averaged 24 yards over two kickoff returns. I tell you, DeAndre Carter for a second consecutive game was rather productive for Washington. He had four receptions for 62 yards on eight targets, and he had a carry for 11 yards. Uh, Washington's 11th offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth quarter first and goal one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Sixth half of the drive, Taylor Heineke, that fourth and 14, 26-yard shotgun completion to a wide-open DeAndre Carter. Washington's ninth offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' late third quarter, 24-yard field goal. Sixth snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, nine-yard shotgun pitch completion to DeAndre Carter on a uh, Kansas City Chiefs looking play. Technically, that's a pass, although really it's like a run where Taylor Heineke just like tosses the ball forward to DeAndre Carter, and uh, he was off to the races. Uh, ten snap of the drive, DeAndre Carter, first and 10, 11-yard under center handoff run on an end around. And then on Washington's fourth offensive drive, the one that resulted in Taylor Heineke's second quarter, second and seven shotgun interception to corner Paulson Adebo. Seven snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 10-yard 10 shotgun play action completion 
to DeAndre Carter. So in a game in which Washington was so depleted at receiver, no De'Ami Brown, no Cam Sims, barely any Curtis Samuel, you get good production from DeAndre Carter. Uh, You also got some good stuff from Adam Humphreys. Three receptions for 73 yards on five targets. Uh, The drive that gave us that Antonio Gibson fourth quarter touchdown run, second snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke first and 10, 26-yard under center play action completion to Adam Humphreys. Uh, Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' first quarter 23-yard field goal. First snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke first and 10, 20-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys on a nice catch and run as he made defensive back C.J. Gardner-Johnson miss on an attempted tackle. And Dax Milne, uh, only one reception for six yards on one target, but he also drew a pass interference penalty in this game. The drive that resulted in Antonio Gibson's first touchdown run, that early second quarter touchdown run, uh, the sixth snap of the drive, the third to last snap of the first quarter, Dax Milne drew a first and 10, 16-yard pass interference penalty on corner Bradley Roby. Nice job by Milne of drawing that penalty. Like we talked about with Tressway, sometimes you got to sell a little bit in order to get the call. Well, speaking of selling, nobody will do a better job of selling your home than John Grandland of Real Broker. John is as good at selling homes as Tressway is as good at selling roughing the kicker penalties. And never forget, John G offers commission flex. Listen up, If you're looking to sell your home, the days of some flat commission rate that rip you off, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are done. John Granlin is changing the game with his groundbreaking concept of commission flex. What is commission flex, you ask? It's simple, flexible commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. You know that Ron Rivera loves position flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Well, John Granlin offers commission flex. John Granlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Granlin is a no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. You have nothing to lose. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. Call John G. now. The phone number is 703 537-6747. You're obligated to nothing. Just when you talk to John G., make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John G. about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. See what John Granlin can do for you. That phone number again, 703-537-6747 or visit johngselsforfree.com. That's johngselsforfree.com. John Granlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron, just like Position Flex. 
All right. Let us talk college football week six as it relates to the big four in college football in the region, Maryland, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Navy. This was a loaded Saturday in terms of a major game for each of the four teams. We'll start with Maryland, which uh, ended up participating in a scrimmage on Saturday, a scrimmage with Ohio State. The Buckeyes worked up a decent sweat, got in some good practice reps, and then patted the Terrapins on their heads and sent the Terps home. Maryland fell to 4-2 and two with a 66-17 loss at number 7 Ohio State on Saturday afternoon. A second consecutive embarrassing loss for the Terps against a ranked Big Ten team. The Terps are coming off that 51-14 loss to then number 5 Iowa at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium in College Park on October 1st. Now, the Terps were ravaged from an injury standpoint. You had receiver Jay Sean Jones being carted off the field with a leg injury during the first offensive drive of the game. Uh, this is the Terps just lost their best receiver, Dante Dimas Jr., for the rest of the season to a nasty-looking right leg injury that was suffered in the loss to Iowa. You also had two of the Terps' top corners, Jacorian Bennett and Kenny Bennett, not playing on Saturday afternoon due to hamstring injuries. This as the Terps remained without another key corner in Deontay Banks, who underwent shoulder surgery in September. So yes, uh, Maryland very much was at less than 100% capacity, but still, did it have to be this bad? You know, you ended up with yet another beatdown loss for the Terps in a game against a ranked Big Ten team and in a game against Ohio State. How about this? Brace yourself for this if you're a Maryland fan like I am. This game brought Ohio State's point total over the Buckeyes' last six games against Maryland to 350. Yes, six games, 350 points. That's 58.33 points per game. According to the Elias Sports Bureau, these are the most points scored by one Big Ten school against another Big Ten school over any six-game span in conference history. Yeah, in the history of the Big Ten, no team has ever had a six-game stretch like Ohio State has just had against Maryland. The Terps don't just lose to Ohio State. They get thrashed by Ohio State, much like the Terps get routinely thrashed by ranked Big Ten teams. It's depressing as a Maryland fan. Look, I know that Maryland head coach Mike Loxley took over a mess of a situation. But here's the truth. The Terps in Big Ten play, anyway, were more competitive with Matt Canada as interim head coach in 2018 than they have been with Loxley as head coach beginning with the 2019 season. The Terps in 2019 finished 1-8 and eight in the Big Ten, got outscored over those eight losses 369-96. And that's not to say that Loxley is terrible or that he has no chance, but that is to say that the results so far have not been good. And this is year three for Mike Loxley as Maryland head coach, and you'd like to see some more progress than what we've seen. Here was Loxley during his postgame press conference on Saturday. For us to, to see back-to-back number five and number seven, uh, we've got a lot of work to do through recruiting, through our roster development and all those aspects to be able to, you know, compete against those type of teams and play at that level. I felt our effort was there today. The execution was piss poor. Um, you know, we're playing through some injuries, which to me are part of the game. You know, I, that's why we play a lot of players. We develop our players to be able that when the next man has to show up, he's got to be able to execute the stuff that we coach 
And, you know, we're not going to sit here and make excuses. And what we need to do is, as coaches, do a great job of making sure we're calling the things that the players that we have available can execute. And I think we could do a better job of that as a coaching staff. Um, like I said, we're four and two at the halfway point. Um, we're we're going to have an opportunity to get some guys healthy now after six six tough weeks. Uh, and I feel very confident still in this team. I really like where we are from a culture standpoint. And, and like I said, the last two weeks have shown us that we still got a little ways to go. But I still have the ultimate confidence in this group of players uh, as we move into, again, the meat of our schedule, that we'll have an opportunity to continue to grow and develop this program. Yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of what Loxley said there, but we need to start seeing results. And if Maryland does struggle the rest of this season, there's going to be heat on Loxley, and there should be. I mean, this game at Ohio State on Saturday afternoon was a joke. The Terps allowed Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud to go 24 of 33 for 406 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions, and didn't sack him once. I mean, again, this was a scrimmage for the Ohio State offense. Stroud averaged 12.3 yards per pass attempt on Saturday afternoon. As for Terps quarterback, Talia Tungavailoa, uh, he was better than he was in his uh, five-interception performance in the loss to Iowa, but he still wasn't great. Uh, he went 28 of 39 for 279 yards. That's 7.15 yards per pass attempt. Two touchdowns and two interceptions. The two interceptions came in the fourth quarter, included a 70-yard pick six, and Talia took five sacks. Next up for Maryland is a much-needed bye week. Terps are at Minnesota on Saturday, October 23rd. Oh, what could have been for Virginia Tech on Saturday night. Tech fell to 3-2 and two with a 32-29 Lost to number 14 Notre Dame at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. The Hokies blew a 10-0 second quarter lead and a 29-21 fourth quarter lead as the Hokies allowed Notre Dame to score 11 points over the final 2 minutes 30 seconds. Fighting Irish kicker Jonathan Dorer connected on a 48-yard field goal with 17 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Tech's defense was really good for three quarters but wilted in the fourth quarter. It was interesting with Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish's head coach, Brian Kelly, did not announce the starting quarterback for the game, ended up starting Jack Cohn at quarterback, then benched him, and then brought him back into the game. And Cohn quarterback, the Fighting Irish's two fourth quarter scoring drives for the 11 points over the final 230. Tech allowed Cohn in the fourth quarter to go 7-9 for 93 yards and a touchdown. Tech in the fourth quarter allowed Notre Dame to generate 156 total net yards of offense on 23 plays. Tech over the first three quarters allowed Notre Dame to generate 245 total net yards of offense on 46 plays. So again, Tech's defense good over the first three quarters, not very good in that fourth quarter. Uh, Tech did twice intercept Notre Dame quarterback Tyler Buckner, including a late third quarter 26-yard pick six by defensive back Jermaine Waller. Uh, Hokies quarterback Braxton Burmeister. So another very mixed game for him. I mean, overall, underwhelming, but he did return from injury to author a big touchdown run. You know, Burmeister, it's like each game he does just enough not to lose the starting quarterback job. So Burmeister suffered a shoulder injury in the third quarter, and so Connor Blumrick was in at quarterback for a significant chunk of the fourth quarter with Tech nursing a 22-21 lead. Burmeister finished just 15-30. I mean, 50%, that's it. Threw for just 184 yards, just 6.13 yards per pass attempt, had no touchdown passes, 
did have an interception, was sacked once. He had 10 carries for 49 yards and a touchdown, and the touchdown was big. A third and 15, 19-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run with 3.55 left in the fourth quarter of his returning to the game from the shoulder injury. So a gutsy play to be sure. Ensuing extra point gave the Hokies a 29-21 lead. You thought that Tech was in a good spot at that point, and Tech was in a good spot at that point. Uh, but the Notre Dame offense had other ideas. Uh, Tech's running game was not very good on Saturday night. We should make mention of that. Running backs Raheem Blackshear, Keyshawn King, Jalen Holston, and Malachi Thomas combined for 20 carries for just 46 yards, 2.3 yards per carry and a touchdown. So as much of the conversation is about Burmeister, it would be nice if the Tech running game could shoulder some of the load, and that was just not the case on Saturday night. Next up for the Hokies, home to Pitt this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Pitt has one of the best offenses in the country with one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is number one among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR. Speaking of high-level quarterback play, Virginia's Brennan Armstrong is having some season. So Virginia improved a 4-2 and two with a 34-33 win at Louisville on Saturday. What a comeback for the Cavaliers. They overcame a 30-13 fourth quarter deficit, won the fourth quarter 21-3. Louisville kicker James Turner missed a 49-yard field goal attempt as time expired in the fourth quarter. As for a second consecutive game, Virginia won on a walk-off field goal attempt miss by the opposing team. Virginia's 30-28 win at Miami on September 30th included Hurricanes kicker Andres Burgalas missing a 33-yard field goal attempt as time expired in the fourth quarter. But back to Brennan Armstrong. He was a monster in the fourth quarter on Saturday at Louisville. Uh, Armstrong in the fourth quarter, 14 of 20 for 183 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took one sack, Armstrong had a fourth quarter, third and goal, three-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to tight end and Oklahoma State graduate transfer Jelani Woods with 7.49 left. Armstrong had a fourth quarter, first and goal, one-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to tight end Grant Mish with 22 seconds left. But also on the drive were two clutch fourth down completions by Armstrong to receiver Keaton Thompson, a fourth and six, 17-yard shotgun completion and a fourth and eight, 16-yard shotgun completion. Thompson had a big game. He also had a fourth quarter first and goal five-yard pistol handoff touchdown run. Armstrong for the game, 40 of 60 for 487 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions. Took five sacks. Both of the interceptions came in the third quarter, but man, did he bounce back in that fourth quarter. Here was Wahoos head coach Bronco Mendenhall during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have the appropriate thoughts or words, but um, I'm grateful and thankful to be the coach at UVA. I'm thankful that our players allow me to coach them and that they try hard and that it matters to them. And um, yeah, 30 to 13 was where we were. Um, and credit Louisville and Coach Satterfield and his staff. Um, it was uh, um, a remarkable turn of events by them in the third quarter, and they took over the game. And But to Brennan's credit and our team's credit, uh, they just kept chipping and clawing and fighting and coming back. And right, they're really resilient. Uh, we did prepare starting on Monday uh, for this game to be the equivalent of a 15-round fight with the um, referee holding both hands. And right at the end, someone's hand is going up. And sure enough, that's exactly how it 
came out and a few inches again determines and has such huge implications um and so yeah, it's acc football and i'm just brennan armstrong to come back from the third quarter he had uh yeah that's hard to do in a game especially when you're on the road and i was really proud of him yeah i mean brennan armstrong is doing things that we're just not used to seeing from virginia quarterbacks i mean the numbers really are eye-popping Armstrong's 487 passing yards on Saturday at Louisville, the second most in a game in school history. And he already has the record. Uh, Armstrong in the 59-39 loss at then number 21 North Carolina on September 18th threw for a school record 554 yards. Uh, This game for Armstrong on Saturday at Louisville, his sixth career 300-yard passing game, tying him with Aaron Brooks for the second most in school history. Matt Schaub is the all-time leader with eight career 300-yard passing games for Virginia. And how about this? Brennan Armstrong, through week six of the 2021 college football season, number one in the FBS in passing yards at 2,460. With all of the video game numbers being put up by quarterbacks in college football right now, it is Brennan Armstrong, who is number one in the FBS in passing yards at 2,460. Now look, UVA is far from flawless, okay? UVA's defense is a major concern. This is not a good defense. The porous UVA defense allowed Louisville to generate 503 total net yards of offense on just 62 plays. That's 8.11 yards per play. But UVA did hold Louisville to just 3 of 13 on third downs. And look, you won the game. That's what matters uh, in the end. Uh, Next up for the Cavs, their homecoming game, uh, home to Duke this Saturday afternoon at 12.30. So Virginia Tech on Saturday night blew a significant lead. Virginia on Saturday overcame a significant deficit. And Navy on Saturday blew a significant lead. Uh, Navy fell to 1-4, a 31-24 loss to number 24 SMU at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis. The midshipmen blew a 21-7 second quarter lead, got outscored the rest of the game 24-3. Navy's offense just was not good enough in this game. Navy scored just three points in the second half, totaled just 12 first downs the entire game. Uh, The Navy triple option attack totaled just 177 net yards rushing at a touchdown on 53 carries. That's 3.34 yards per carry. Not good enough. And that does include three sacks of Navy quarterback Ty Lawbatai. Why college football rushing yard statistics include yardage lost on sacks is beyond me. It's one of the dumbest things in sports. But still, even if you take the yardage lost on the three sacks of Lawbatai out of the mix, this still was not a very impressive ground game performance by Navy. Uh, for Ty Lawbatai, 4-7 passing for 64 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions, but he took the three sacks. He finished with 24 carries for just 53 yards, 2.21 yards per carry. Uh, The midshipmen's defense was mixed. On the one hand, the mids allowed SMU quarterback Tanner Mordecai to go 30 of 40 for 324 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception, and registered just one sack. He had a killer moment early in the game. Uh, Mordecai's first touchdown pass, a first quarter, fourth and one, 66-yard Shotgun play action touchdown pass to receiver Reggie Robertson Jr. on the first offensive drive of the game. 
But on the other hand, the Mids held SMU to just 5.86 yards per play, held SMU to just 2 of 11 on third downs, and Navy linebacker Diego Fago had a second quarter 20-yard fumble return for a touchdown on a third and 12 sack strip by Navy nose guard Clay Cromwell. Huge moment there for Navy defensively. However, Navy was guilty of yet another special teams gaffe, and the gaffe came moments after that Diego Fago fumble return for a touchdown. Navy allowed SMU safety Brian Massey to have a second quarter 95-yard kickoff return for a touchdown as Massey just flew down the right sideline. And again, this happened right after that Diego Fago fumble return for a touchdown. This came on the kickoff that followed the Fago fumble return for a touchdown. That kickoff return for a touchdown that Navy allowed a killer, I mean, total buzzkill off the Fago fumble return for a touchdown. Here was Navy head coach Kenny Amatololo during his post-game press conference on Saturday evening. Well, hats off to SMU. I mean, obviously a hard-fought win. Uh, just heartbreaking, you know, for our, our young men and our program. You know, to play the 24-ranked team here and being up 21-7. Um, you know, we, we're feeling pretty good about where we're at and uh, just... It's heartbreaking. I mean, you know, you, you got to, like I said, you got to give them credit. It's a good team. Sonny's a good coach. <coughs> we felt like we had our chances. Um, I thought our defense played well enough to win. Too sporadic on offense. And, you know, obviously that kickoff, um, it killed us. The kickoff killed us. Yeah, you could tell that that kickoff return for a touchdown that Navy allowed really bothered Niamatololo, and it should have bothered Niamatololo. The midshipmen have had at least one major special team screw-up in each of the team's four losses this season, and now for the mids comes a quick turnaround. Uh, Next up for Navy is a game at Memphis this Thursday night at 7.30. All right, few quick items before we call it a show. The Capitals will begin their regular season on Wednesday night. We'll face the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena at 7.30. I will be doing a preview of the Caps season in the coming days, but Alex Ovechkin got hurt in the Caps preseason ending 5-3 win over the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena on Friday night. The Caps on Sunday morning called Ovechkin day-to-day with a lower body injury. Remember, Nicholas Backstrom is almost certain to miss the start of the regular season due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. So we have to see where we're at with maybe slash probably the two best players in Capitals history and Ovechkin and Backstrom. Ovi's certainly number one. Uh, to me, Backstrom is number two. You can make an argument through some other guys like, say, Peter Bondra. Uh, also, the Caps place veteran defenseman Michael Kempney on waivers. Uh, he cleared waivers and has been sent down to AHL affiliate Hershey. Also, we have reported changes to the Nationals coaching staff of the Nats' uh, 65 and 97 2021 season. So, Longtime coaches Bob Henley and Randy Knorr reportedly are not returning to the Major League staff for the 2022 season, though both will remain in the organization in player development roles. Uh, This news breaking on Sunday, Bob Henley, Bob Senley Henley, uh, he was the Nats' third base coach for seven of the last eight seasons. Knorr was the Nats' first base coach for the 2021 season after previous stints as bench coach 
and bullpen coach. Uh, They were the only members of manager Davey Martinez's staff who were not invited to return to their 2021 roles. Uh, There are changes happening for the Nationals off this debacle of a 2021 season. Not that Bob Henley and Randy Knorr are the root causes of the Nats losing 97 games, but some things need to be altered here. So I'm all for whatever change Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez believe is necessary. But let's make one thing clear. Mike Rizzo has to look at himself in the mirror too, because the Nats player development has really been a failure in recent seasons. And Mike Rizzo is at the helm of that. So he's got to take some ownership of what went wrong for this past season, in addition to, you know, shuffling things around with the coaching staff and changing some things in the front office, etc. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 164, will feature much more on the Washington football team off at falling to two and three with this 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. We'll have Ron Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday to unpack. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Um, let's start with the Hail Mary. What happened on that Hail Mary? Thing? They caught it. That's the truth of the matter. We had enough guys around them. One of their guys got it and caught it.